So we pick up where we left off, which is the Millennium Falcon blasting through hyperspace and stopping in an asteroid field of what they believe to be the Alderaan system. And where's Alderaan? All I see is a bunch of space rubble. And they see a specific thing that looks like a moon. They realize it's not a moon. They realize it's a space station and it's pulling them in. Yeah. So they kind of back off, but it's too late. They're already being sucked in by what we, of course, know is the Death Star. They get sucked into a little docking bay and they realize very quickly they're going to have to think fast because there's stormtroopers everywhere. Vader and Tarkin are suspicious and they want to investigate this thing thoroughly because Vader feels a presence that he hasn't felt in quite a while. So they hide beneath the floorboards of the Falcon, but when the coast is clear, they kind of lure up some unsuspecting troops, do something in the shadows with those guys that essentially knocks them out of commission, steal their uh, their suits, and then they infiltrate the Death Star. Exactly. And so when they go from there, they break into the detention center with a plan hatched by Luke and Han to carry Chewie in as a prisoner. And Obi-Wan goes off to be able to uh, fix the reactor to be able to remove uh, the hold that it has on the Millennium Falcon. Luke and Han can't really agree on exactly how they want to enact this plan. They both have uh, a little bit of... uh of a trigger-happy quality, but they're not really uh, seeing eye-to-eye yet. One thing leads to another. Luke eventually finds Leia in her prison cell and rescues her. Exactly. Leia's a little unimpressed, though, because they didn't think of an exit strategy, and so she kind of takes control, shoots open the garbage chute, and they all go in. But things don't go so well down there. No, as we know, they fire a blaster. The the fire ricochets all around because it's really dangerous. As if that weren't bad enough, there's something alive in the water of the trash. And oh, by the way, the walls of the trash compactor are compacting. And I think that's where we left off. I believe that's everything in the clip. Yep, that's everything. The in only 20. thing we might have excluded is there was a brief little rendezvous between Vader and Tarkin, where he's like, "No, I'm pretty sure Obi Wan's aboard this space station. I haven't felt his presence in years." Yeah, he does say it a couple times. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Uh, is Vader just not very good at distinguishing what presences he feels, or is he keeping certain awarenesses? to himself like oh i think it's just the fact that it's 20 years later no but i'm talking about luke and leia like oh i see what you mean i mean he spent a lot of time around leia in this movie so far and he's showing her some mercy mm-hmm. some he respect a couple for sure. uh but does he sense at all that she's his child how could he not first of all she's so one with the force and uh the force is rare especially in in these times like he she would just glow to a force sensitive person such as darth vader and luke coming aboard the space station even more so like he should be knocked to the floor uh i mean not necessarily i believe there should be some form of sense i mean maybe the fact that obi-wan being there is kind of overshadowing the luke and leia presence uh, I did look a little into the the torture droids that Darth Vader brought into Leia's uh, prison cell, okay. and they're not so friendly, so I'm not quite sure that he <laughs> has any sort of... Um, I think he's willing to certainly go the distance and put the... Uh, put the screws to Leia, but he has shown he is definitely still showing her some respect. Uh, yeah. But that droid it does drug you, and then it scans your body to figure out your weakest physical points, and then it tortures those for about an hour. So, oh my god! Yeah, it's it's a messed up <laughs> little droid. It really seems like at this point in the saga, the Empire is really going through a phase of uh, rule with fear. Like oh, they're, they're just fear mongering in this movie. They're blowing planets up just to scare people, and they're building torture droids that drug and 
torture you. Well, and I think that's really kind of the main point that they go for with that transition from Rogue One to A New Hope is this is the breaking point where the entire galaxy is starting to kind of notice it, where it's no longer this empire has kind of gotten by and it's just, it's purely just fear mongering. Like you mentioned, there are, the number of sympathizers of the empire is really at its lowest and the number of rebels has has peaked and hit that point where right. the tables turn we've kind of transitioned into nazi germany a little bit exactly and that's really what that's why this pinnacle moment is so key i think is the fact that yes the rebellion was something that lasted for so long uh and yes luke and leia that's supposed to be kind of the when they meet up is the the turn of events but yeah i mean in this well not instance, the rebellion but whatever senate existed before the empire well, no, I mean, the Senate that existed before the Empire was the Republic. The Republic is the word I was looking yes, for. Yes, but the Republic died when the Empire was formed in Revenge of the Sith. And so it was just the Empire from there on out and the Rebellion bit by bit. Can you expand on what you said before about Rogue One? Is there still an existing presence of, or a, a sense of peace among the galaxy, even if it's ignorant peace? Like, are there still people out the, in the galaxy thinking... I think that's kind of, the certainly the impression that I got at the start of Rogue One was... This is kind of the shift. This is the, we're seeing the galaxy in this position right now. We're really, everyone's afraid of the empire. It's not a trusting thing. It's not where your police force is there to protect you. The empire is not there to serve anyone but the empire. And this is, it's kind of like the secret's been completely broken. That's kind of the way I saw it in terms of really Rogue One kind of just here's when we're at rock bottom. Yeah. Rogue One is kind of like the rock bottom point. That's at least the way I saw it uh, in terms of, well, the Death Star f reaching its full power. That's kind of rock bottom. <laughs> but aren't there everyday galactic citizens who are still out there going, no, the Empire's going to make the galaxy great again? And like, I'm, I'm being coy, but I mean that. Yeah, like no, I think it depends on the system and, and depends which systems were aligned with the Empire and which systems were aligned with the rebels and which were independent. And obviously there were certain sympathizers who would go against the, the grain on their particular... Um, on their particular planet. I know I'm currently watching uh, Rebels and I'm at a point in season three uh, that has brought in kind of Mandalore for the first time, dug deep into it in Clone Wars, but it's the first time really in Rebels. Yeah. Uh, and that's been kind of interesting because Mandalore is kind of a system that's, or a planet that's kind of taken a position where it doesn't necessarily want to get involved with the conflict of the Clone Wars, kind of stated as its own third side uh, and same sort of within the, uh, as the Empire took over with uh, the Rebellion, you had the Mandalorians kind of divide amongst themselves. Some aligned with the Empire, some completely didn't. Uh, some stuck true to just Mandalore uh, in terms of wanting to be their own side. Uh, but a lot of systems didn't necessarily align, but some kind of fell outside of um, where the Emperor really cared to enforce. And presumably there's just some kind of... Uh disconnect on many planets where they don't really know exactly what's going on with their with their government they're just going i guess this is happening now oh i'm sure i mean i don't really know the ins and outs of how the political landscape is on each of the planets somebody does man. i'm sure somebody does out there <laughs> i'm sure somebody has done several papers on it uh, but then there's of course there's the kind of the unexplored parts of the galaxy that aren't even necessarily tied directly in right um, to the Galactic Senate and the Galactic Empire. I want to give uh, Luke some some credit right now because a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how 
so early on he's such a farm boy and uh-huh. he does very quickly exhibit some signs of heroism when he very quickly comes up with the plan to escort Chewie as a prisoner across like to a new cell block that was very clever um although i found it very jarring that like almost nobody walking around on that space station seems to find it weird that they're just like why would there be a wookie aboard like w- w- at what point did they take a prisoner a Wookiee prisoner into the... The Death Star is so huge. I know, but like, do you find it like weird that they're just walking past all these uh, no. military people and there's just nobody bats an eye no, at this Wookiee that just came out of nowhere? There must be so many prisons on the Death Star. It's so huge. There's so many different like docking stations. Who knows what ship brought in the Wookiee prisoner? I think that like the number of people they see on an everyday basis... And the number of shit that goes down on the Death Star, I'm going to assume that seeing a Wookiee being escorted as a prisoner is not an overly rare sighting. Do you think that the Death Star is just is just sucking in ships all across the galaxy? Like basically anything that comes within range, they just suck it in and take the, the passengers prisoner? No, no, no. Not necessarily in that regard. Um, I mean, that's obviously what happened here. But just anytime anyone goes against the Empire, which at this point is far more common. The right, rebellion is kind of What rampant. I'm saying is they don't know that there was a Wookiee aboard the Falcon. It's not like they're going, oh, there's the Wookiee we brought in. No, no, no. They're not necessarily associating it with the Falcon, but it could be, it could have even happened on Kashyyyk or somewhere else. Right. And they needed to bring this passenger aboard uh, we, for interrogation. Or maybe it was, who knows? It really could be anything. And I think that's why people wouldn't see it as weird. We did finally witness that barbarism that we haven't really seen a whole lot of in, in Chewie, other than in the in the most Eisley Cantina. We saw him go like nuts and aggressive uh, when that guy eventually does question this transfer of the unauthorized personnel and all that. Where are you taking this thing? Prisoner transfer from cell block 1138. I wasn't notified. I'll have to clear it. But it really blows their cover. Like, he freaks out at this uh, Death Star military guy and completely ruins their their fairly smooth little operation. Yeah, but it was going to hell at that point anyway. I don't know. Was it? Well, the one part is you couldn't fit the binders around Chewie. So you had to just place them there. And if he inspected it, then it would have been a bit of a problem knowing the fact that he wasn't actually cuffed. Yeah. Uh, But the part that I noticed about that scene that I thought was pretty bad was the fact that they have no cover. And there are so many blasters going off in that scene. Yeah. But it's crazy just how how Lucan and Chewie, they get away with it completely free. Right. No, no bullets, nothing strays, nothing hits them whatsoever. That's not exclusive to Star Wars. There are so no. many action movies where gunfire is just everywhere and our hero is always able to like dodge from one, one pillar to the next and not but get hit. That was the best part about this. They weren't dodging anything. No. And it was so close quarters. <laughs> it was like, like 15 feet away and like there's completely outnumbered but somehow they were able to pull it off i was thinking later when uh they do have the princess they have their helmets off which is for the benefit of um, them being the stars of the movies of course it helps us to follow and i guess it helps them to follow too so they're able to know who's han and who's the enemy but it also seems like it would have been wiser to keep the helmets on for the sake of their cover yep i'd say so although if they're walking around with princess leia it's pretty well understood that they're the ones who broke princess leia out yeah i think it's pretty well known around the the death star that princess leia got out i think we uh have a bit of a difficult task in picking which was the most iconic quote of this 20 i'm going to agree with you however there's probably there is one that i've decided on as being the most iconic. it's down to two 
I would agree. It's down to that's no moon, it's a space station. And what would be the other one for you? Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Okay, yeah. I think those are the two main ones. I agree. Which one is your favorite of the two? I think that's no moon is the most appropriate way to go. Yeah. Especially since we've really spent a lot of time on the Death Star in this segment. And it's also, it's got a nice punch to it. It's a classic line. But yeah, there was no shortage of good quotes. Good quotes. Not not all of them really iconic, but nope, some of but them some just, good ones. just phenomenal lines. Like uh, one of them I wrote down is, who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool that follows him? Well, I actually really like that entire uh, back and forth between Han and Obi-Wan. Yeah. Um, I use them for smuggling. I never thought I'd be smuggling myself. Even if I could take off, I'd never get past the tractor beam. Leave that to me, says Obi-Wan. Damn yep. fool. <laughs> uh, I knew that you were going to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Yep. Yeah. So it, it was definitely a pretty good exchange and quick banter between the two. Yeah. Han has some some really good, like, curmudgeonly quotes in this, which is partly what makes his interchange with the on the intercom with the guy where he's trying to, like, keep it cool. Oh, my God. That's it's part, funny. It's partly what makes that scene so funny because it's one of the rare instances where Harrison Ford does, like... Uh, awkward comedy like even when like his funniest lines in all the movies are always he's still cool as a cucumber yeah and in this he's so not where he's like we're fine it's everything's fine here though it's good how are you how are you (laughs) is the funniest uh everything's under control situation normal what happened uh hit a slight weapons malfunction but uh everything's perfectly all right now we're fine we're all fine here now thank you how are you and I never noticed before uh, when he gets frustrated and he just blasts the intercom, he says, uh, conversation was boring anyway. Yeah. I never noticed him saying that before. Yeah. And that's a great tag. Yeah. Boring conversation <laughs> anyway. Luke, we're going to have company. That's right. And that's a that's an iconic. That's a great one. That really brought me, brought me back. Are we going to hear Ehrenreich say we've got company? I wonder. But the we're fine was directly revealed in... The, in uh, in that first trailer. Yeah, I didn't really, I don't find that really evoked that scene. Well, that was what they were going for. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there's no way they weren't. I thought we were in trouble there for a second, but it's fine. We're fine. Interestingly, we got both, uh, I have a very bad feeling about this, and I have a bad feeling about this. I, I got a bad feeling. I got a bad feeling about this. Okay, yep. so we had one of each. Yeah, we definitely did. That was uh, interesting to see. This might be my, my favorite quote. Not the most iconic, but my favorite quote of this 20 is, into the garbage shoot, flyboy. That's an interesting one, yes. Okay. Especially seeing as Han has not introduced himself as a pilot yet. Oh, She yeah. has no idea that he's Flyboy. Kind of never even occurred to me that that was a term for pilots. And I just thought it was a fun nickname. Wise guy is what it says in the script. Is that right? Yeah. Flyboy was something improvised by Carrie Fisher that ended up not really working, but who cares? It worked because the line became way better. It works because she's a better writer than George Lucas. <gasps> and So hard. Well, but like, It's so funny because he wrote Wise Guy... And wise guy is such a New York Post term. Like, yeah. nobody says wise guy. Flyboy doesn't work, but I'm sure there's a way you can you could have made it work. And I'm sure there's an explanation out there somewhere saying as to why she said flyboy as opposed to wise guy. Someone I don't know. has it, canonized Luke, it. Luke spent some quiet time with, or some personal time with Leia when they were running back to home, where he's like, we got to go meet my friends. He's the pilot on the ship who brought me here. All, like, like, eight feet they ran, maybe. Was that how far it was? <laughs> it wasn't very far. Oh, Okay. Well, that's that's my explanation. <laughs> there you go. There's a solid explanation. Do you what have other... any any more quotes that really stood out? 
Yeah, there's a few. Uh, your destiny lies along a different path than mine. Mm. The force will be with you always. The, the force will be with you always is kind of an interesting variation on may the force be with you. Mm. It's yeah. a little bit more confidence inspiring. Yeah, it's one that's been done a few times. Uh, where did you dig up that old fossil? That good was, one. That was a good one from yeah. Han. Uh, better her than me, Han referring to Leia dying. <laughs> yeah. I kind of forgot about the, the conversation where Luke is trying to persuade Han. She's rich. She's rich. Oh, you don't... Oh, that's a, it's a weird conversation. It is a weird conversation. And speaking of things that don't really add up, like, first of all, you don't know how rich she is. You really don't know anything about her. Yeah, Luke doesn't care, though. That, that I've always interpreted it as Luke just talking out of his ass because he wants because to help the princess. Because she's called princess? Because he wants to help the princess. Well, that's cool. If that's true, that's fine with me, except for that it's a little more clever than I tend to give Luke credit for. Fair enough. That he's like really good at persuading Han all of a sudden. Like he knows that she's rich is a good way to get Han's attention. And yeah. Han's established that he's really just in it for the money, so that's cool. He's established it several times. But they've also made it clear to Han that the planet on which Leia is royalty and valuable is no more. So her value might not be so intrinsic anymore. I don't know. I'm still going to bet that uh, Leia has stashed away some funds. And I think we all know that Leia was never a beggar at any point in her life. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's probably more money in... He gets his credits. He gets every credit that he's owed. Han does? Yeah, later in the movie. You mean at the end of the movie? Yeah, yeah later and on. He gets his fancy little medal, too. No, no, no. Before that, when he uh, when he flies away and then uh, Luke's mad that he, uh, he didn't stay with the rebellion. That's right. He yeah. gets paid. Yeah, he gets paid, but comes back anyway. That's right. What a good guy. Yeah, he's okay. He's complicated. Uh, what else is there? I can't see a thing in this helmet. Did you notice anything that really needed to go back to the drawing board? Because for the first time it, since starting this podcast... I really thought the production quality was solid in this 20. Yeah, it was pretty solid. There was, like, a, couple, there was a couple things here. I thought when the the pieces of Alderaan whizzed by the Falcon, the little yeah. like asteroids, they made a really weird sound. If you go back and listen to it, Is that it's right? this very lasery sound. It's pretty lame. It's pretty hokey. Okay. Yeah, so that's just one you have to go back and listen to. One thing I even noticed as a little kid, like even as a naive little kid who wasn't critical as a viewer... I realize that the garbage in the garbage chute is just all styrofoam. It's just all, like, light as a feather. Yeah. And it's kind of confusing also that the garbage chute is also clearly hooked up to the plumbing, because, like, why is it wet in there? And yep. by the way, what is the creature? Do you, do you do any research on, like, what the creature is? Mm -hmm. Can you tell me? So the creature is called uh, Dianoga. Okay. And it's massive. Uh, sure. That creepy little eye is just the tip of the iceberg. I believe that, but why? Why is it in there? And more importantly, how is it in so there? So it's about. It can grow up to thirty. Uh, sorry, ten meters in size. Okay. So it could be a massive species. It could be a massive one. Uh, it doesn't necessarily specify which, like how big this Dianoga is, but they're like super, super disgusting. This is like Sarlacc gross. Okay. Uh, apparently, George Lucas was really disappointed in. Uh, the final version of how this looked. He really wanted to show a monster. He, he wanted, yeah, he wanted it to be menacing and intimidating, and he was super disappointed with the results. Oh, and no kidding, because no. it's like a lame Muppet. No, well, I disagree entirely, and I'll tell you why. Because about three years before this movie came out, his buddy Steven Spielberg made a little movie called Jaws, most of the suspense in which was an ominous presence Fair it enough. wasn't what you saw and what makes that sequence kind of threatening mm -hmm. even though it's kind of comical it's the movement is 
the movement and the knowledge that it's there. Uh, I mean, what's kind of creepy fair. about going swimming in the ocean, knowing that there's all kinds of weird stuff in the dark down there? Yeah. So the Dianoga are initially from the planet uh, Vodran, and it was discovered by the Huts prior to the Galactic Republic. Uh, the main thing here is it somehow managed to get aboard the Death Star during construction and stowed away within the sewage and into the garbage. Okay. All right. I was kind of hoping you were going to tell me something about how like they keep it down there to eat the garbage. No, no, to, like, no. Decompose. They live it. in sewage systems, moist and like. How did it get on the Death Star? Well, the Death Star is massive. Yeah. So how the Death Star was constructed would have to have been done in very large chunks and then brought up. So that does not surprise me at all that that thing could have slipped its way into a piece right. that got shipped up. Okay. So if it's so big, how come it didn't kill uh, Luke when it sucked him down? I have no idea on that. So It probably should have. It, it definitely could have. Uh, but for some reason, I guess, um, may, how- maybe, a, maybe a blaster shot actually did. But I know he just kind of, the, the monster kind of let go of Luke for yeah, some reason. Yeah, he just kind of recoiled. Yeah. Uh, how come the trash compactor doesn't squash it? Uh, very good point. I have no idea. Maybe it has some kind of uh, exoskeleton that's like jelly or something, and it can just contract. That's a really interesting question. I wonder what the answer is. Somebody has to have figured that out. Somebody has to have, definitely. Uh, there were a few other points, though, that I think could be takebacks. Uh, did you find any droids? Vader says that line. It's really derpy. It must be a decoy, sir. Several of the escape pods have been jettisoned. Did you find any droids? No, sir. It sounds, it? Re- it sounds really dumb. Okay. I don't know why. It just, it doesn't, it could not sound less menacing. If that was the way Darth Vader said every line, Darth Vader would be a really lame bad guy. Did you find any droids? Well, I mean, I guess they're just like checking every little ship. That's true. I never really thought about it before, but it's a total accident that they brought in the Falcon. Or is it? No, because they knew that a ship like that had droids aboard. That's why he said, did you find any droids? Yes, specifically, because they know that that was the particular a type Karelian of ship. A freighter. Yep, that escaped from the Mos Eisley spaceport uh, yeah. when stormtroopers had intel that two droids were aboard it. I did make, I did make note of when he said, they must, have, they must have come back in search of bringing the plans to the princess. Like I found that kind of derpy. Stormtroopers. Yeah. So Han, when he's in the control room and he puts his boots up on the control panel, they're just white blundstones. Yeah. I know. They're so obviously just worker boots painted painted white. I know. I've noticed that before. And and they are just blundstones, but they're supposed to be stormtroopers boots. Yeah. Clear as day. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned to me before uh, that Leia stays perfectly clean in the garbage chute. Yeah. We haven't seen her exit uh, in the 20s yet. Right. But on the other side, she comes out white as can be. Well, in fact, they're all wearing white except for Chewie. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, that's interesting. Well, Han less so because his sh- his white shirt, and I never noticed before this viewing how dirty it was, yeah. is really not white. It is like, and well, he's also wearing Stormtrooper clothes at right. this point anyway, so it doesn't really it matter. Makes sense. He's just spent a lot of time in the like in the back streets of Tatooine. Oh yeah, he's gonna be pretty grubby looking, pretty sweaty and dirty. I find that the hole they blast, that Leia blasts into the garbage chute so they can escape down, could not possibly be big enough to, to welcome down Han, much less Chewbacca. Oh, really? Yeah. There's no way they got through there. I didn't even notice the size element of no. it. I was taken aback by that when it came to Star Wars games. Yeah. Slashing the vents with your lightsaber so you can crawl through them to get through different levels. That's right. That's always fun. That was always fun. And they dive in head first. Yeah, which is just stupid. That's insane. No one dives head first into (laughs) something that you're expecting to not have like a cushiony landing. She seemed to know it was a garbage chute. 
Maybe my guess is it smelled. <laughs> I guess that's probably true. It probably reeked a fair bit. Did any and maybe it was labeled. Did any characters stand out to you as somebody who was like who might have a curious backstory? No. Nobody else? No, not really. Okay. You? Uh yeah, let me see here. Uh, oh yeah, I wanted to know do we have any idea what happened to the two Imperial troopers whose uniforms got stolen? Like they get lured aboard the Falcon. Hey down there! And do they kill them and then hide the bodies on the Falcon? And if so, what happens to those corpses? Or do they just, like, knock them unconscious and then ditch them before they speed off? They don't do that. Well, they kill a lot of people. So I don't think they'd have a problem killing them aboard the Falcon. But those bodies are just hanging out there on the Falcon. Yeah, that's probably pretty gross. Maybe they dump them. Yeah. Han's got storage space. I'm sure he found a way to put them in the... And just release them in space. Or maybe he didn't. Maybe knock them unconscious and, and dump them off as they left somehow. And they're without their clothes. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Uh, were there any other moments that stood out to you that kind of brought you back to your childhood or anything along those lines? Well, I don't want to talk about those ridiculous little Lucasfilms video game demos that we had when we were kids too, too often. I'm going to do it again, too. Yeah, it's those crates. Yes, that's that, my exact point. It's those weird, like, they just look like uh, like glossy drama room cubes. They're imperial crates. Yeah, and who knows what's in them, but they're just like, basically anytime you're on some kind of imperial level in those old turn of the millennium uh pc video games there were those crates everywhere Mm -hmm. and uh they stood out to me big time the storage compartment in the falcon also did because i know you had a plastic millennium falcon i sure did and it was awesome yeah it was i love the storage compartments and things like that those were always the cool parts it's like a micro machines thing it unfolded like yeah it was big though yeah it was awesome yeah it was a pretty decent size and i got to see all the little elements and just for some reason i thought it was so cool that oh my god, compartments in the floor? Like, <laughs> there's no way. That's the, like that's so smart. Han that has got to be the smartest person in the galaxy. He's a smuggler. But at the age of three, you don't know what the word smuggler means. I guess that's true. I wonder when I realized exactly how nefarious Han was. Oh, I definitely had no idea as a little kid that Han was such a dirtbag at the start. Yeah. I mean, he's not a dirtbag. Kind of. He, he doesn't really have a code of honor is that's, all it is. That's it. Good he's point. just looking out for number one, which is cool. And that's... That's part of what makes this new solo movie complicated. Yeah. Is that Han is not honorable before he meets Luke and Leia. He's not. And that's True. fine because there's a reason he is looking out for himself. So maybe we're going to see the story of how he becomes kind of jaded and cynical. But that sounds like a sad movie, doesn't it? That definitely sounds like a sad movie. And that could be the case. However, we also could find out that from an earlier age, Han is cynical and acts that way. And that he's that way from the start of Solo. Yeah. Solo is going to be divided into three parts. So three parts of Han Solo's type, uh, life. Well, uh, that's cool. Yeah, I think the um, the final part will be four years prior to like Rogue One, A New Hope. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think that's the, the right amount of time, four years. But I don't know exactly how spaced apart the, the other two timelines are. If you recall... Pre-Rogue One, everybody's under the impression that it was going to take place a couple of years before A New Hope. Nobody suspected that it was going to lead us right up to the moments of of New Hope's beginning. No, that was not expected. Is there any chance that's going to happen again with this one? I'd be pretty annoyed. Would you? Yeah, I think so. I don't want to see someone not Harrison Ford portraying Han Solo any timeline close to 
A New Hope. I, I, I was looking at a picture of these two guys uh, next to each other yesterday, just like Harrison Ford in 1977, Alden Ehrenreich in 2017. And I mean, I'm sure he's a good, I've seen him act before. I saw him in Hail Caesar. The first time I ever saw him was Hail Caesar. And that is a star studded film. There's a lot of charismatic people in that movie. And I'd never seen this guy before. He plays Hobie Doyle. Uh, hapless uh, Western uh, film star in like old Hollywood. And he is hysterical in that movie. And I remember saying to Becky, this guy's going to be a star. This guy's going to be like enormously famous. And so when he got cast as Han Solo, I was really psyched about it. And that was before I saw Baby Driver. And it's, it, Yeah, that's who I wanted from the start. Yeah, it's before I got like a little uh, anxious about this movie in general. I wanted to have a, a good attitude about this movie when they announced it. Um but just the more I see him next to Han Solo, like the the real guy next to Harrison Ford, the less I see it. Like, and honestly, it comes right down to face, like facial structure. And normally, I'm not a stickler for that stuff. I don't need Joaquin Phoenix to look like Johnny Cash if the performance is good. But he's just not handsome. <laughs> he's just not Harrison Ford handsome. He has a small face. Yeah, his face is kind of smushed together yeah. compared to what Harrison Ford's is, and no one's as good looking as Harrison Ford. That's just not fair to compare. Harrison Ford's like rugged and like I don't know. Alden Ehrenreich's got this almost like pretty boy quality to almost him. Almost mossy, actually. Yeah, uh, and I agree it doesn't work, but I am gonna completely reserve judgment and just hope that he's able to embody the the, the essence of Han Solo. And, yeah, and not necessarily the entire time, but. Give me glimpses of Han Solo. Uh-huh. I mean, even if it's not, like, even if I see it as sort of a different character, but I'm able to be drawn in by a couple things he says or does, or his relationship with Jabba, or his relationship with Lando, or Chewie, or something. Something yeah. that's able to reflect the way Harrison Ford portrayed Han doesn't necessarily need to be everything, but something that I can, like, almost act as my anchor. Right. Then no, I, know. I think that could work, maybe, I for know. me. I'm just nervous about it. I think yeah, I'm, I'm getting too. more nervous as we're drawing closer. Yeah, well, there was some interesting insight, uh, and I don't know if we want to veer away from the 20 quite yet about Solo, but Go ahead. yeah, sure. Uh, there was insight that came out this week uh, in an article on Vulture that released some information, also released through Reddit, I believe, of someone who was an actor on Solo, and they gave kind of their behind-the-scenes take on things. It was. It's also been disputed and said that things weren't necessarily true. Did this person give a fairly scathing review of what it was like? Not necessarily. I recommend look it up yourself to, to kind of read the points, but they're mostly just regurgitating everything that we've heard. It said that the acting coach for Alden Ehrenreich was not nearly as big of a deal as people made it out to be. I'm sure there's some fake news surrounding this. People yeah, turn a narrative when, when they see the opportunity to create drama. The, the majority of the negative comments were around uh, Lord Miller, and Lord yeah. Miller are the ones who have denied that this is true. So it, there's also, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, but they basically said Ron Howard was incredibly professional and got respect immediately as soon as he became on to the set. He would do a couple different takes and that was it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lord and Miller were doing like 25, 30 takes, even if they got the first one done perfectly. Yeah. That's and a comedy thing. Like, yeah. if, for example, like 21 Jump Street, when they made that movie, they there would be a lot of improv on that movie. So they would keep the camera rolling mm-hmm. and they would have Channing Tatum do a bunch of reactions. And they would just like... they figure in post, we'll pick our favorite one. Yep. And just like keep the camera rolling, stay loose. 
And so that's a comedy thing. They do it on Apatow movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is scripture. And Absolutely. it apparently doesn't work this, that way. Apparently the script did not change one bit. Mm-hmm. And also when Ron Howard came in, he used some of the same set pieces, didn't shoot in a wide angle for some of it as well. So that he didn't have to, so that he was able to get the shots done quicker, not okay. having to like rearrange the right set pieces in the same way and getting everything down to a T. I have to imagine that if everybody was super game when Ron Howard came aboard and everybody was really respectful, not just because he's a Hollywood legend and it seems like a sweet guy, uh, there had to be a lot of people who were anxious about Lord and Miller. Oh, of course. There had to be a there had to be a lot of scuttlebutt about how this might not be going very well. They just jumped the gun. Yeah, I think I so. think Kathleen Kennedy, in terms of hiring them and bringing them aboard, I was psyched uh, about all, it when I heard about this it. This entire movie can be fitting into that category in terms of jump the gun on it. I absolutely agree. But is what it is, and I think considering the circumstances, getting Ron Howard, I'm I'm as confident in Ron Howard's abilities to direct this movie as anybody possibly could. Yep. So I'm just gonna I'm just hoping and we'll go from there. The nice thing too is no one's gonna blame him if it's not a great movie. No one will blame him. No. And if it turns out to be even half decent, then he'll amen, get all the credit. Great job, Ron Howard. He'll yeah. get tons of credit. Yeah. And then bring him back. Yeah. Yep. Totally. No reason not to. I know. And potentially like maybe he has great chemistry with who knows. Maybe he's really able to bring out the best in Alden Enrich. Mm-hmm. And they do and they use him again for something. Or everybody talks about because everybody loves Donald Glover and myself included, that Lando's there's a decent chance he's gonna be the standout in this movie. Oh yeah. And he was the standout in the trailers. Yep. So Maybe they go down that route and they do a Lando movie or they do a Lando trilogy. Speaking uh, of standalone movies, just one more quick observation about this 20 of A New Hope. Yeah, for sure. And we also have to do some trivia for it too. Oh, yeah. So we can go back to that. Um, when uh, when it's just starting and we're flying through the asteroid field of what was once Alderaan and they're approaching the Death Star, what first catches their eye is a TIE fighter. Yes. And it's Ben Kenobi who identifies it as an Imperial fighter. There's another ship coming in. Maybe they know what happened. It's an Imperial fighter. He's followed us! No, it's a short-range fighter. If he has been on Tatooine for these 17 years, how would he know what an Imperial fighter is? Because they would fly overhead. No. He's in a cave. They're not, like, flying in the atmosphere. They're not, like... It's not necessary, like... Obi-Wan wasn't in a cave necessarily for 19 All straight years. All I'm saying years. is, it, to me, it represented an allusion to the fact that there is story. Fair o- enough. Obi-Wan has stayed clued in. He knows some stuff yep. about what's going on. And it's not just his his force sense. Yeah, no, fair, fair point. That is good. He was able to pinpoint it right away. So yep. he was definitely familiar with the TIE fighter. Okay, I'm sure I'm sure you will not be able to get my trivia question. Okay. I'm sure you won't. What is the name, quote unquote, of the stormtrooper who boards the Millennium Falcon to check for passengers? TK421. Good job. How can you have that memorized? Because TK421, I specifically made note of all of those key things in the 20. <laughs> <laughs> TK421, which uh, obviously is evocative of what has now become the most famous stormtrooper name, which is FN2187. Mm-hmm. What do those codes represent? 
Do you know? I don't specifically know uh, what the linkage is and why you get a specific number. Or like what I'm, is TK? Does that does that refer to his department or his expertise? Probably. Yeah. It's probably based on uh, their position, like their job on the Death Star, their job on Starkiller Base, uh, in addition to their ranking. There's probably something, or not necessarily the ranking because it is your name. Um, but yeah, it probably goes down to, like you said, just position or what you're bred to be specialized in. Yeah. Um, checking ships, checking freighters. That's a pretty boring specialty. It is. But uh, 2187 is used in this 20 as well. Is that right? You didn't know that. Really? Oh, no, that's fascinating. Yes. Is that a coincidence? Uh, so the reason why you didn't pick it up is because it's 2187. Okay. So it said it's 2187 by Han saying that's Leia's cell. So what sells you? 2187. Oh, so it's not a coincidence. So no, it's absolutely not. That's the reason why Finn was given that name was because right. they were able to, to pull it together. Like I'm sure they wanted to name him Finn and then someone made the connection with FN or they made the connection and they saw it. Who knows? So you know in Back to the Future Part 2 where Doc is told by Marty that they have to go back to 1955, specifically the date of the famous Hill Valley lightning storm on November 12th, 1955. Yes. And Doc ponders... Uh, whether there's just some kind of weird uh, time-related significance to that date. It's almost like the Force has determined the number 2187 has some kind of cosmic significance. Maybe. That yeah. it, it, it spoke to Finn in some kind of indirect way. It pulled him out of the uh, First Order and, and gave him a conscience, that number. Mm -hmm. And it also happened to be where, where Leia was, was held. Yeah, exactly. A little fan theory there for you. It's been used elsewhere too, I believe, a couple okay. other times. Um, I'm sure there's probably one or two in like Clone Wars or Rebels or something. Mm -hmm. uh, just be able to kind of subtly drop those hints to connect it all together. Okay, hit me with some trivia. Uh, so I've used a few of them just as like talking points. So I kind of burnt a couple ones. Like okay. the Dianogo was going to be one of them. Uh, and I even have in here 2187. So <laughs> that eliminated two of them. Uh, I can hit you with a number one that if you were confident I wasn't going to get, you definitely won't get. <laughs> All right, go for it. Uh, from what cell block did Luke claim uh, they were transferring Chewbacca from? Uh, there's a three in there. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Uh, 381. Actually, that's a really good guess. Yeah. 1138. 1138. So you got the right numbers in there. Okay. That's pretty good. Uh, and let's go with a different one. The... Um, it's it's a pretty straightforward name, but do you know the name of the most droid on the Death Star? <laughs> no, but I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> those are MSE droids. Yeah. And so those are actually created to be um, like pets, so they could be sold almost like an everyday multi-utility droid that you could have, uh, okay. but at the same time- Like a Roomba. Yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> had a little bit of like personality and charm to it, but they didn't sell well enough, so they sold uh, at a low rate- like millions and millions of these droids to the empire. They bought they, them like Dell computers. They bought them at a, a low, low wholesale rate to just add extra droids to the Death Star for small tasks like What'd carrying you say his information. Name was? MSE droids. So okay. it was an MSE six, I believe, is the one used in A New Hope. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It's kind of a little interesting little bit. I had to Google up uh, a little bit of information on the most droids because I knew there's got to be something on there. Same with like a gonk droid. Those are the the two ridiculous looking droids probably, I'd say, from, uh, from A New Hope that's Imperial. We have to talk about this ridiculous rumor that was started online a couple of days ago. 
that uh, yeah. in order to resolve the Leia storyline for episode nine, JJ was going to hire his buddy Meryl Streep to come in and take over for the late Carrie Fisher, which as soon as I saw it, I, I wasn't even scared. No. And it's nothing against Meryl Streep, who's obviously phenomenal. It, I was like, I knew right away it was fake news. Mm-hmm. But that people want to sink their teeth into that thing just it makes me feel like we have to address it. It would be the worst decision in the, Star Wars history. It the, would be yeah, like, it, it would, would be, you know, it would be the worst decision in Star think, Wars history, period. Do you think it'd be that? Do you think that strongly about it? Yep. Really? Yeah, they're like, that is, it's a different scenario. It's not young Leia. Mm. You, they did a good enough job ending the story. You do not end the entire story of Princess Leia on Meryl Streep mm-hmm. when no matter what, they have to give us a time jump between eight and nine. Yep. There's your exit. Yeah, That's when you kill Leia and you can have a grieving process She's already transferred knowledge over to Poe. Poe is already right. the new leader. She says it at the end of The Last Jedi. Right. She isn't needed in episode nine. And count your blessings for that. Do not try and replace her. Give her as best of a send-off as possible. I'm also totally game for young Leia in some way, mm-hmm. whether that's a book, a TV series. That'd be uh, cool. Oh, I think that'd be super yeah. awesome. I think there's definitely, and there's it's been kind of floated about, not as anything serious, but just in terms of things people think would be pretty cool. And I definitely tend to agree. Leia, Princess of Alderaan is... Uh, is certainly a book that uh, has got garnered lots of praise. I haven't read it yet, but I certainly want to. I kind of love to read that. That sounds good. Well, it gives you a lot of great insight into Holdo as well. So interestingly enough, when Holdo was initially described, she was a little bit more of a hippie. Yeah. Uh, and that's initially how Laura Dern tried to play her. That's why the hair is purple. Yeah. But it didn't really work, so they had to go back to the drawing board. But is because there- Sorry, no, is, sorry. Is there any chance Holdo's still alive? No. no? If, the, if there's some people think that, uh, but I think that would just be so idiotic. I know a ton of people wanted it to be Akbar who did the the big, yeah, the big act of self sacrifice. Right. But it worked for Holdo. I thought it was great. Such a great scene. And they'd be so dumb to go back and take that away. That's the redeeming characteristic about that character. Yeah. But it was interesting. Was because she had to change the way she was portraying Holdo to be a little bit more serious. Um, but the initial script was what was given for um, the Claudia Gray book, um, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Okay. And so she saw Holdo as being a little bit more eccentric and hippie-like. And so she wrote her as a young character as being eccentric and hippie-like. Uh, so it's kind of like a little bit of an interesting backstory on that, that character that ended up shifting as to the way it was portrayed. It's a character that gets a lot of crap, but in my opinion, Holdo um, over DJ 10 times out of 10. I had no problem with Holdo. I thought she was awesome. I, I like Laura Dern and everything. I think yeah, she's, she's pretty awesome. I think everybody was uh, on board with that because she's such a huge fan. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's something that everybody appreciates as a Star Wars fan. It's always nice to have Star Wars fans get rewarded yes. by being in Star Wars. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. It is as simple as that, but also there's a care for the characters in the universe. Thing. Definitely. Not, I mean, like I don't know if Lord and Miller were Star Wars fans. I think that might be part of the concern in hindsight now. They may not have been enough of Star Wars fans. Right. They may not have gotten it enough. They, they may have, have loved generic it. Generic movie but fans. Yeah, exactly. And maybe they just weren't, they just didn't really study and want to follow along with what makes Star Wars Star Wars. There are certain things that you just can't change. And one of those is improv. Yeah. Now, I think we all wish some improv was done in the prequels, but that was. <laughs> 
not there's not a chance in hell. Hayden Christensen apparently tried quite a bit to mm-hmm. to improvise, and, and it got, it Lucas got cut kept. Off. Yeah. Oh lord. <laughs> I know. Feel I, bad for the guy. I, I just to just to kind of round this off. Yeah. Uh, I really think casting Meryl Streep as Princess Leia as General Leia is stunt casting. It would not be done as a service to the character, though they would try and frame it that way. It would be to put Meryl Streep in your movie when it's just not, it's not asking for that. Yeah. And I don't even think that could be, that wouldn't, no, more people wouldn't go to the movie. No. More people would not go to the movie. Yeah. And it, it just, it, it isn't necessary. And it's, it's, it's not why you cast Meryl Streep. You cast Meryl Streep to make a movie about the Washington Post interesting. Yeah. Or to make Julia Child interesting. Exactly. You don't cast, uh, you don't need Meryl Streep to make Star Wars interesting. Princess Leia is badass enough. She's badass. Exactly. And we saw that in this clip. Did you get your Blu-ray? Uh, so no, I haven't ordered it yet, but yep. um, that's because I wanted to be able to go to the store and just grab it whenever I want it. Some people are a little disappointed that it doesn't seem to match their other. Yeah, set. people like to be able to line them up. That's, like it's, that it's is white fair. and red, and it really it really does stick out from the other film. It sticks out like a sore thumb. Did, did you pick yours up? No, not yet. No. Uh, the one th- interesting thing for me is when I purchase Bond, I purchase Bond at the at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I purchased twenty. Um, yeah, I guess 20 movies before Casino Royale. So I purchased all 20 of those movies of the same style. Yeah. So each of the first 20 Bond movies looks identical on my shelf. And then Casino Royale, Quantum Assault, <laughs> Skyfall, they all look different. It's it's a little annoying, but it's the same thing. You'll never. It's impossible. Exactly. It's impossible to have. I used to hate when like the Harry Potter movies were still coming out. And like say there was like five of eight harry potter movies out they'd be like get the whole set in this new hogwarts box and i'm like this is only going to be good for the next 18 months it changes all the time yeah i actually got this really cool poster that shows all of the lightsabers in all of the duels in all of the star wars films as they cross so in terms of there is one cross of darth maul with a qui-gon blade and one cross with an obi-wan blade and a vader and um luke all of them across the board but that was made when there was only six star wars movies right and so now there's no kylo ren lightsaber on there and there's no ray interactions or finn interactions so many so many people have beautiful dvd box sets that absolutely say say the complete saga on Mm -hmm. the front yep and they're now like three quarters of the whole saga yeah i know it's like buying a new car as soon as you buy it it's out of date yeah but that's the thing with star wars it doesn't matter. We're never done. Yeah. I mean, we're going to consistently buy different versions of these DVDs with re-releases, the way things are done. And you know what? We love it. Yes. Because it's Star Wars. Listen, uh, if you would ever like to contribute to the show, tweet us at Recorder66. We managed to snag that handle somehow. You can also uh, email us, Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. That's what it is. Uh, let us know what you think. If you want to send us like a little uh, audio clip, uh, some comment you might have on the show, we'll air it on the show. Yeah, absolutely. That, that would be really fun. Um, and uh, next week, we're going to be covering part five of six parts in a new hope we're almost rounding out this first film already and then we have empire it's gonna get so good yes it will all right is that everything i think that's it cool man may the force be with you 